Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of which we're recording on. I'd like to acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging, especially those who are in the creative fields as we get to see them create amazing artworks that tell the story of their people through a visual setting. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. You're with Reese Hendy, that's me, and Caleb Maxwell. That's me. Hey, hey, um, we've got a really awesome chat coming up. Ooh, this is big, Reese. It's one of the more abstract creative journeys I think we've uh, explored of someone. It's packed full of value uh, in the performing art space, in the how to develop an idea from inception to product. Um, there's so much in it, but there's one thing we need people to do before they continue listening. Yeah, definitely. I think to get a bit of context on our guest, his name is David Gagliardi, and he's a uh, come up with this awesome show. It's called Everyone Goes to Heaven in the Clothes They Died In. Um, to get a bit of context about his process and what he's talking about, we highly recommend that you jump onto the Emporium Creative Hub website and check out the show notes. Uh, there's a there's a preview. There'll be links to his website, and you can preview some of the show which yep. will just um, give you an idea of the scale of yeah. what we're talking and about. And it'll here. set the stage, uh, pun not intended, because it's on a stage. How about that? I always do that. Um, but the link you need to go to if you've never been to the show notes before is emporiumcreativehub.com.au forward slash podcast and then scroll down to the episode that you're listening to now and click on it. The links will be in there. Yeah, all right. Well, let's jump into our chat with David. Dave Gagliardi, welcome to the Country Creatives Podcast Studio. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's so cool to have you here. Reese and I are really excited to dig into your story. And there are some amazing things that you have been through in your creative journey that we are super interested in. Get your thoughts on because I think they're going to be super valuable to a lot of our listeners. Um, You're in a very unique field. Obviously, the, we're going to dig into this, but obviously in the performing arts uh, in an interesting way. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And um, my knowledge of your work is very limited, so I'm excited to kind of dig in as, a, as someone who doesn't know much about it. Pretty much right. summarising my knowledge of you at this point is you work out of the um, Emporium Creative Hub. I see you in a little corner space with a piano, like a little um, keyboard set up with your headphones on. You look very busy. <laughs> and I'm really keen to um, hear about what you've been cooking up like over in that corner. Like, And I, I watched a little preview trailer before and I'm like, wow, this is like... I would not have I would not have imagined what you've been up to over in that, in that corner. corner. <laughs> so before we dive into um, what it is you've been creating, I uh, I love asking people when you meet someone for the first time, mm-hmm. how do you describe to them what you do? With great difficulty, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm finding. Yep. I um, I have a lot of respect for uh, quality communication. I, I mean, in my career, I, I've had to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, my background you know, certainly has involved a lot of do-it-yourself. There's usually not people, you know, coming along to do it for you. Yeah. Um, so out of necessity, you know, I've ended up doing all different kinds of roles and, uh, yeah, the value of the clear com- communication is really clear to me. And I've been thinking about it lately because I, I'm sort of shifting all, all the time. And the, the, so the short answer is, yeah, I'm still, I've just recently been reflecting on it I'm, because I'm realising I've got to come up with a sentence. <laughs> When I'm asked, where I can just say, this is it. And hopefully just to, uh, I can increase the percentage of people that comprehend <laughs> what I do <laughs> without us having to have a one-hour podcast. <laughs> right, we'll, go we'll go on. Give us, the, give us the workshop version. What are you up to at this point? You know, what does it kind of sound like for that, that elevator pitch? I, I say that I'm an artist and people will, will ask, well, in, in what way? Uh, and then I'll say, well, I'm currently working on a show that's a, a live stage, a large-scale live, uh, live show um, that's really a festival work, uh, which involves uh, composition for six upright pianos, uh, but that it also has 
multi-screen video art and illustration and animation, uh, lighting design uh, and sound design. I mean, I remember you kind of telling me that a while ago now and being an uninitiated uh, person in the performing arts and, and you know, uh, shows, language and things, I thought, you know, festival, I'm like, okay, is Dave's show going to be played at the big day out? Mm-hmm. Sure. Is it? Is yeah. that what is, is that the kind of festival you're talking about? <laughs> uh, the answer, the short answer is yes. The, the work actually leans more towards the performing arts world. Yeah. Um, so when I'm saying festival, I'm I mean more along the arts festivals. So things like Sydney Festival or Rising, or or, or any of the other sort of arts festivals internationally. Um, but the work absolutely rides that line between performing arts and and music. Uh, and so for the bold festival, music festival promoter, um, absolutely, there's the opportunity to program something like this you know, at a Falls Festival or, or, or at a Roskilde or, or, or at Coachella or, or something like that. Mad. So, yeah, it, it, I see it can do both. Super cool. Mm. And Dave, what um, what sort of led you to this? So I wanted to get back in, into the background of your creative journey thus far. So right now you're heading up this crazy production, you know, from the ground level. Um, but what's your, yeah, what's your background in the creative industries? Um, I, 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 I've always been a musician and a songwriter. And, and my background is playing in bands and alternative bands, making records, touring. Uh, doing doing that sort of more rock alternative thing, um, and I've been doing that yeah, since I was fifteen. I think the first record I put out went out when I was sixteen, and I through that process you had experiences where I would have um, you know a lot of my songs placed on TV programs, mostly overseas, uh, you know. So and I was asked to you know, I was commissioned to make some uh, to compose music for some documentaries and and TV shows and things as well. Um, so that sort of naturally sort of grew out of out of that. I've always worked uh, as an artist as well as an arts worker. So I worked in the music industry as well as being a, a musician. Then about five, six years ago, I started working in the performing arts, uh, so managing a venue uh, and then working for a professional theatre company, Arena Theatre, as well as doing other roles, Association of Performing Arts Centres and, and that more performing arts world. About 10 years, 12 years ago, when I was writing some music, I would start to make some music that was more score-like, more more an orchestral, you know, idea, it, just tinkering with it. And I knew at the time when I was doing it that I was interested in it, but I remember saying to myself, I'll do this later, though, which in, upon reflection is a really interesting thing. I don't, that in my young mind I would have identified something I was interested in but also been comfortable to postpone it. Yeah. That doesn't sum me up at that age. <laughs> <laughs> at that age, just do it all, do it now, you know. Uh, so about five years ago when I first moved uh, regionally and was part of a regional community, I thought this would be a great opportunity. I, I could start working on this piece. I could use local musicians and, and I just saw it as a, as a music concert initially. And that didn't get up off the ground, um, and, I, and I didn't create for a couple of years until I moved to Bendigo uh, three and a half years ago, I think. Through my through the influence now of the music industry, but also the performing arts uh, industry, uh, I, I found I was able to allow myself to create something a bit more performance based overall, a bit more theatrical. Your work is quite unique. And it is, it's its own thing and it's an experience, right? I know this because uh, of following along with your journey and hearing you present about it and seeing some previews and things like that. But I'm super interested on how on earth you got to this stage we're at now with this fully designed, ready to go show. Uh, from my knowledge, you never created a show like this, right? Is that correct? Correct. So... Here you are. Let's paint this picture of Dave Gagliardi's moved to Bendigo. Were you in Bendigo when you started it? Yes, I yeah. was, yeah. How did this idea come about? And then how did you decide to go on the journey of actually developing the show? Uh, yeah, I hadn't been creating for a couple of years. I knew when I moved here uh, that I was going to get that back going in my life because it's just so important to me uh, and, and my well-being. Um, 
And having just moved here to a new regional place, um, I was lucky to get a job reasonably quickly uh, in the arts and I just had a yes attitude about moving to a new town and being in a new place. So any of the events that were on or anything to do with arts or performing arts anywhere in the city, uh, yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll come. Yes, I'll go. If somebody wanted to invite me, for a cu- yes, I'll come and have a cup of tea with you. And I got really busy meeting people and, and trying to understand the landscape. Then really early on, there was a, a, a night at the La Trobe University here that the Creative Victoria had put on. It was an information evening around co-working spaces. It was just before Emporium was actually built, but that was a topic of conversation. At that event, I discovered that there was a uh, turntable, a, a floor that, that turns, so, you know, the turntables that you put your sports cars or yeah. any car on. Yeah. Um, and I learnt that the people who make them, the company that makes them, is based here in Bendigo. Yeah. Uh, and I was really fascinated by it and, and I went home that night and, and I'm thinking, that's interesting. There's an idea in that somewhere. And it was kind of just let it be and got on with my life. And a little while later, the idea came to me of uh, what, what would happen if I put three pianos on this turntable uh, and then had an audience sitting on the outside of that in a circle like, you know, 20 people kind of thing. And as the pianos are turning around, the volume of each piano would rise and fall depending on how close or far away it was from you. And it was just this little idea uh, that I thought would just be like a little tiny black box theatre kind of experimental thing. And so that idea sat with me for a little while and then there were some other things going on at the time. We were having some conversations at work about environmental impact of touring and, and, and what does that look like and, and how can we tour uh, works without sets and all this jet fuel and all this freighting. And um, not only is it not great for the environment, it's also financially unsustainable. Uh, yeah, then one night I was uh, getting up to go to the toilet <laughs> and this vision just struck me, you know, as I was walking through the house and... Uh, it was uh, this giant red screen with these six black boxes, these six pianos in front. And I was a little bit annoyed because 2 a.m. is a terrible time for ideas to arrive. (laughs) I was really tired. But I had my sketch pad out at the time and I remember just scribbling down this idea real quick and and thinking, oh, it's not three pianos, it's six pianos. Right, okay. Scribbled it down, a couple of ideas, went back to bed. Got up the next morning and there it was. When the first thought was, gee, this is big, multi-screen video art and six pianos, you know, that's sort of all I knew. There's a few compositional ideas on how I would play with that, that space. Then COVID hit and I thought, gee, maybe this is the opportunity. Maybe this is the, this is the time to start this, uh, this idea of a more compositional uh, orchestral scored work that I'd been thinking about sort of 12 years ago. Yeah, wow. You're and. Right. I was just about to ask, what's that kind of time frame? So you had like this initial idea of doing orchestral type work 12 years ago. Then you had this sort of idea starter. There's a big gap between those two pet bits. But then from the from realising that you wanted to do something on stage with pianos to then sort of having that vision, what was the, how long, how much time elapsed between those things? But between the turntable event mm, and mm. the six pianos event, I think that might have been nearly a year. Yeah, wow. Because I was, you know, I was busy getting myself settled here and in a new job. Just the act of getting the habit of art back into my week mm. that mm. that to begin with was a was a big conscious effort. And do you reckon that led to this this idea landing in your? subconscious or you yeah middle yeah. of the night conscious i guess so i guess you could look at it as that you know the idea might have arrived because it recognized i was ready mm. you know whereas if it had arrived a year before mm. i'm not quite sure how i would have uh, what i would have done with it now you you touch on something here that i think is i really want to dive into and it'll continue on with your um telling of your story and your creative journey with this project but it's the, the concept that ideas can be uh, thought of as separate to yourself and, uh, and an external force. Have you always thought that way? And, and can you explain that kind of concept and how it served you in this project? No, I haven't always thought that way. It's come with maturity. Mm. Uh, when I was younger, 
uh, I, I don't know what it, I think when I was younger my thoughts would have been more wrapped up in ego you know I'm just excited I want to do this thing let's get it done this is how we're doing it um, and I had a lot of success you know doing that I don't know how enjoyable it was to be you know in a band with me or, or in a room <laughs> with me um, because my enthusiasm was just I mean it was just incredibly what do you want to, how do you measure enthusiasm incredibly <laughs> huge, huge. <laughs> and ju- from a very genuine place and genuinely excited, I just wanted to get on with it and get it done and I could see if we just did that, you know, we would get to the next thing and, you know, and I would get to the next thing and I would immediately be looking at the thing after it, you know, all those mistakes you make when, yep. you, when you're younger. The idea, the but the way I work now, uh, there's two things there. One is there's a maturity in working in teams and collaboratively, which is one of my favourite parts of what I do now. Uh, I've really learnt how to make that how to make that really enjoyable, not just for me, but for the people that I work with. Mm. So we have a great time mm. uh, and, and I'm really proud of that. But talking about, yeah, ideas being separate from you, I'm not exactly sure where that came from. I think intuitively I just started to recognise it and at the same time, you know, you're always listening to podcasts or watching YouTube videos or masterclasses or things like that. David Lynch is one that jumps to mind straight away. Uh, you know, this would be very much how he would describe his process for yeah. film. Yeah. Sit, just sit mm. and, and sit quietly and allow time for the idea to come mm. and, and look at it, you know, and, and, and allow yourself to play with it. Mm. You know, if, and if something comes and, and, and it finished, you know, we'll chop that one down, pop it up, you know, on the wall. So there's a lot of people who talk about that. So I think along the way, my, my intuition was sort of reaffirmed, mm. you know, by external, you know, experiences. It is interesting because I, I would say that what I see in popular culture of being creative is it's not just something that comes to you. You have to work at it and you have to make it happen. And I don't, I don't know, is that a more common way of thinking in general? In terms of being creative and you have to, yeah, like well, sometimes it might feel forced, but that that is what it is. You've got to push through it. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know about you, Dave, but in yeah, in my early kind of career and, and creative journey, it was uh, my ideas were so linked to um, the forefront of my mind and I felt like I had to really build them brick by brick and engineer them and that they're there wasn't a lot of time. There wasn't a lot of allowing my subconscious or anything else to be part of that ideation and that development. Whereas I think this is something I've picked up from your journey and, and something that you've done really well is serve the idea and let the idea lead the the creative journey to an extent. And that that's kind of your 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 judge of whether something should be included or not is it does it serve the idea would you say that's that's pretty accurate 100 percent, yeah and i would say when i was younger you know i operated in, in a way that i would describe as doing mm. always doing doing whereas now i operate in a way that i would describe more as being yeah and it's what's interesting is um, there's, you know, in reflecting, there's just so much energy that I spent when I was younger. Turns out it's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's such power, hey? So your your story is is a great example of of this really winning, <laughs> the uh, this concept of and creative process leading to great things. And I think we dropped off on your story about when you had just kind of jotted down the idea and um, and formulated a bit of a vision, uh, an imaginary picture of what it could look like. It's been quite a journey since then, hasn't it? Um, could you want to just step us through a little bit of, of how it developed and how that idea yeah. of the ide- serving the idea worked? Yes, it's really important that what we that what I just spoke about the difference between doing and being is and the different and when I was talking about spending unnecessary energy, I think it's really important to point out I'm not actually talking about doing less work. Yep. Now, uh, so. I had the vision. I had the still image of the of the red screen and, and the and the six pianos. I had a few ideas around what some of those compositional things might be. I it, it was COVID, and I felt like this was an opportunity to do this work. And I thought 
first step would be to put in an application to get some funding to allow me to have time uh, to uh, to work on the idea further. Uh, applications force you to have a title <laughs> for things. I guess I could have called it untitled. Yeah. I don't think that was very strong. Uh, um, and I'm always keeping notes in my phone, you know, for lyrics or song titles or just ideas about anything. My phone's full of it. Um, and I was looking through one of those notes, you know, from the past and the title was was there. Everyone goes to heaven in the clothes that they died in. And I thought, yeah, I reckon that's it. It just stood out. Yeah. And interestingly, when I first had that idea, I was going to attribute it to a band that I was in at the time. And to me, that title was hilarious. <laughs> Everyone goes to heaven in the clothes they died in. I mean, that's just a hilarious <laughs> scene. You know, and I imagined, you know, a, a big open space of white, you know, and thousands of people. Uh, you know, in all different kind of clothes. You, I mean, what happens if you die while you're scuba diving? You know, <laughs> you, you're stuck in a scuba suit forever. <laughs> <clears throat> then there would be plain clothes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I imagined also there'd be a lot of um, naked little bottoms sticking out of the back of hospital gowns, <laughs> you know, because lots of people die in hospital, right? Um, so it's it stood out and it was really funny to me but also it was really sincere and and really beautiful title and it just seemed to marry with the work and i essentially had that much i think when i put in the first application it was an application to say here i've got an idea it was also very much about including the community uh, which is something that i've been able to achieve i've had 24 people work on the show and 18 of them are from our local region here in, in central vic um so, and that application was successful. Uh, so I was able to justify setting aside a day a week to work on the idea for, I think it was for a day a week for 14 weeks. And that's when it became very much about the sitting down and, um, and thinking it through. And it all happens at the same time uh, for me. So I had... There was one other thing that I had when I did the application. I, when it was the six pianos, I thought, can I do this? Like, what does this sound like? What does six pianos sound like? Mm. And so I sat down in, in the studio space I had, which was just a computer and a keyboard in the mudroom at home, and I, and I did a little test. The piece of music that came out at that moment is actually the first piece in the work. Wow. And I, it came pretty quickly, and I, and I set it up in a session so I could stack up as if I was six people, uh, ran it off and I went and put it on in the stereo and I sat down, uh, I sat down as somebody who was just sitting down, turning on the radio, trying to he really hear it mm. separate to the, the musician who had created it mm. and, and just listened to it and thought, does this work? And, and I thought, yeah, this works and I can do this. So then I, on those days, started sitting down and going through that process. So the first period is very solo. I knew about the screens and... And then the ideas would start to come in about stories and, and what, what if I impose this title on this work, what does that mean for the work? I would have, uh, I, I might sit down and just let my hands fall on the keys and just see where they go and, and then go with an idea and not necessarily know what its purpose was. And I would kind of exhaust that, that art form and then from there it would typically trigger an idea, well, what if this was... You know, this, what does this sound like? It sounds like this is happening. And then I might think about a character and I might, you know, make some ideas around, a, you know, a character and I might draw some, like, little scratchy cells, you know, like comic cells kind of thing. And then there would be an idea of, oh, this character's in a crowded room, you know, would come up. And then I would think, well, what does a crowded room sound like on piano? Hmm. You know, what, do I, what, is, what is that, uh, you know? And I would set about going, oh, okay, and, and, and I would compose something based on that idea. And then while I'd be doing that, an, an idea for lighting design might might come in. There was an idea for a lighting, there was a lighting design idea that I had that I had no music for. It didn't belong to any music I'd written. It didn't belong to any character. It was just a standalone lighting idea that I, a design that I wanted to do, mm. you know, in this, in this setup of the show. And that sat there on a piece of paper for a while. And I knew I'd have to get round to it at some point and at some point I did you know I got around and, and I could see it and it was that was a case of sitting down and going well what does this sound like mm. then writing that music and then 
once I hear that, and, and now I can hear it and see it in my mind, um, what character do I want to attribute that to? And usually I wouldn't actually, it wouldn't happen like that. Usually it would be like, oh, this belongs here. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating example of the of you know, I, the ideas coming as pieces of the puzzle and you having that concept of serving the idea as a whole are able to put that on a shelf and wait until it fits, until the opportunity presents itself because you have that awareness that the ideas, all ideas have value and they may fit somewhere, but you just don't know where yet. Yeah, and now, you know, I've just, I'm just beginning work on new works now, which is six stories that are standalone and intertwined and all, yeah, and multi-art form, you know, so music, design, colour palette, yeah, character attributes, dialogue, etc. And armed with this experience, I'm very, I'm able to very confidently now accept that things arrive in bits and pieces. Mm. So I've set up a framework for myself now, especially for this next bit of work because it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of stories. So when ideas come, I can catch them and place them in, in a spot. And cool. sometimes it's clear it belongs to this character. So I'll just pop that musical idea over there or, or that um, dialogue idea over there. And some, then a lot of them, especially at the moment because I'm only just starting, I don't know where they belong. So they're sitting in an overarching, you know, file or there might be photos or images, there might be sound, it might be concepts and I know later the process will be so this is the gathering mm. and then later the crafting and sorting will come what what does that system even look like like that's um very interesting process and I'm also thinking how do you know when to call it quits on forcing an idea versus mm. letting it come to because I know there's awkwardness in sometimes you have to sit with the awkwardness to make something happen you know it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right and then it happens but it sounds like you just wait for it to happen is that right is there what's the balance yeah except so it's but it's waiting for it to happen inside of a uh, structured uh, process so to start with simply turning up so Monday to Friday nine to five let's say you, you make a decision, this is when I'm working. And inside of that day, I'm going to do four or five 90 minute blocks of, of work. So let's say I'm gonna do that next Monday. I could turn up on Monday and have no idea, you know, what it is that I'm working on, you know, or, or what I'm doing. But the first important step is that I turned up and, and that I'm sitting there and I've allowed the time. So it's not just waiting for it to come, you know, mm. when it wants to one day. Mm. Got to, Put your put myself in a in a situation to receive. I guess mm -hmm. if nothing is, I just I just did a little test yesterday on this. Actually, um, I don't I don't have a very clear idea on what's what's next in in the creative process. But I absolutely have four or five tiny little ideas. One of them is as simple as long sustained notes on a on a double bass. Pretty minimal idea, right? <laughs> but it's, it interests me for a bunch of reasons. So if that's all I have, then on Monday morning at 9 o'clock, open up a Logic Pro session and start recording a long note. I just allow myself to do that, trusting that once I do that and get going, something else will come. It might be something more uh, music-related. Uh, at the end of that 90 minutes, I might come up with a... You know, I don't know, four, uh, you know, a, a quartet, yeah. 30 second piece or something. Or I might find that it triggers off uh, an idea to do with the character's um, narrative. And, and, and then, okay, well, great. Well, I've already got that, those, those templates set up. I can jump over here. You know, and do that. I love Does that what you, yeah, it makes so much sense. And I love the way um, that you've set this up. You have some really good skills in structure and the administration of creativity um, and the the creative act itself. And it sounds like you've kind of married those two to make progress uh, and it to set you out yourself up to succeed as a professional creative. When one one thing triggered when you when you were saying about your process is that it is consistent and you you've mm. set you've set up a system where you can make progress as a professional because at the end of the day this is what you do 
You know, you can't just you can't rely on ethereal ideas to <laughs> arrive to you at two a.m. in the morning yeah. if you're going to make something. Yeah, yeah. The, I, um, someone asked me about this recently. I remember I was, when I was touring with the band. You know, I don't know, twelve years ago, fifteen years more, probably fifteen years ago. I was on a plane going from one city to another to do some show, and I was reading the magazine on the plane, and it was an interview with Nick Cave. And um, legend. In that interview, he explained his process, and to paraphrase, was I get up each day and I have breakfast with the family, and then I leave the house and go to the office, and I get I get on with it. And Monday to Friday, nine to five, you know that's yep. what he did. And the minute that I read that, straight away, I was like, "That's what I want. That's what I want. I, I actually, uh, I, I want that more than, you, you know, than to." than to be on the radio or to, <laughs> you know, to be on TV or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Just for me, creating was, is, you know, is the real love. I, I said before that I've, you know, that throughout my life, I've in parallel been, an, you know, an arts worker mm. working in the industry, whether it was music or performing arts, as well as being an artist and, and a musician. And I remember there was a time where I was really upset with myself, like, about it, like maybe my early 30s, you know, um, early mid-30s, thinking, why didn't I just go 110% as an artist, you know? Like, yeah. what was I so worried about in my 20s? Like, you know, worrying about money and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You know, I was, I didn't have a family at that time. You know, when you're young in your 20s, why didn't I just go for it? And, and I remember being upset with myself, you know, about it. And then th- that... Uh, that has changed, you know, for me over the last probably, you know, probably I'm 42 now, probably over the last five years, I have just such gratitude mm. for having put myself through that because, yes, I, I see the advantage now, like you say, and I am able to organise my creativity in, in a way that I can look, I can take care of myself, you know, and I can look after myself to, to make things happen. Mm. All right, we're going to take a quick little break and have a chat to Amy Chapman, who is the programmer of Conflux Bendigo. Hey, Amy. Hello. Hi. Yeah, Conflux. Um, it's coming around really quickly, 9th and 10th of September, um, and we thought we'd just make a few little mentions as to what's happening and how we're involved. Yeah, we are doing many things, um, and thanks to Amy for getting us involved. So I'm going to be doing a, a little bit of a, a chat, a talk, uh, hi, how are you, about uh, the future of regional creativity and specifically a project I'm working on, uh, which is going to be really exciting, but uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is because I don't want to steal my own thunder. It's top mm. secret. You can only <laughs> hear it if you come to Conflux Bendigo. That's right. It's going to be big, though. It's going to be really big. Reese, what are you doing? I'm uh, I'm visualising a Conflux. <laughs> What's a Conflux, right? Yeah, a Conflux. <laughs> well, my understanding of a Conflux is uh, the coming together of creative forces and ideas and concepts. That's about right. Yeah. And so you that. are doing that in a visual sense. How's that happening? Interestingly. I would say it's it's one of those things. <laughs> Ooh, keeping it under wraps in as well. In a way that only Nacho Station can. Yeah, well, we're we're going for a collaborative approach, and it's going to look a lot like a collage, I think. Um, and there's also what we're really excited about is handing over the reins to the audience. So rather than just being a passive audience through the whole event. We're going to give the opportunity for the listeners to become the doers. Ooh, contribution. So that should be really fun. It's quite interesting. It's all a little bit nerve-wracking to hand over the reins <laughs> to so many contributors and, and wondering what's going to come of that. But I guess um, it will look like a conflux, I think. And Hopefully. that's exactly the point, programming conflux. I don't know exactly what I have an idea, what people are going to get from it and what's going to happen out of it. But um, we're going to see on the 9th and 10th and we're actually going to make it happen together so exciting there's one other thing that we're going to be doing that uh people can get involved with as well interpretive dance (laughs) no joke real story i have done an interpretive dance on the rod laver arena stage in front of maybe thirty thousand people it was fantastic wow So and that one's not coming to the conference. Oh, sorry, stage. sorry, we, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> I am not doing that. <laughs> we, Reese and I, we are doing 
what we're doing right now, except with all of you people, because you'll be there, won't you? Yeah, I'm talking to you listening to this right now. You will be at Conflux Bendio and Reese and I are going to be podcasting live. Uh, we are going to be talking to some of the amazing speakers, artists, and guests at Conflux Bendigo. Mm, yeah, we're going to open it up to the floor, I think. There's going to be some live podcasting, so you can pull up a chair and, um, you know, check out how it all works. Yeah, and maybe even throw a few heckles Reese's way. I think he'd love that, wouldn't you? Yeah, that <laughs> like um, that will be interesting. I th- maybe we need like we need to be in a glass box. <laughs> and if you don't actually know what Reese and Caleb look like, and you formulated an idea about what they look like just by uh, listening to yes, the podcast, yes, you could be wildly surprised maybe, at the reality. Yeah, maybe you think Caleb's Reese and Reese's Caleb. Mm. So other than allowing people to absolutely sledge us live, <laughs> um, we're also I think. Like, you know, we haven't come up with exactly what we're, what our format of our chats are going to be. Maybe we can open that up a little bit um, yeah. pre-event. Yeah. But I'm thinking that we get people to do some short little plugs, who they are, where they're from, why they're at Conflux Bendigo. Yeah, those type of things. Some Great. little plugs, but we'll also be chatting to some of the presenters. We're going to dive into what they do as well. Yeah, a bit of the behind the scenes of their journey and, and their story and uh, their creative expression, which is kind of what we do all the time on this podcast. Speaking of which, we should get back to that podcast. Let's go. You can grab your tickets to Conflux Bendigo at emporiumcreativehub.com.au. But in the meantime, we're going to jump back into our fabulous conversation with David Gagliardi. We've heard a little bit about your solo process and the the initiation of this project. And then I know that, you know, you, you mentioned you got that initial grant that gave you the time so that you're able to pay the bills and spend some time working on the idea. There's two questions here. <laughs> when did you start bringing other people into the project? And But when um, – what was the journey and the, the challenges in the – logistics of actually paying your personal bills mm-hmm. and not working for free and still living while you create this thing. Yeah. So at the end of the solo period of developing this idea, um, you know, I obviously started to have a, a, a clearer idea of, of what it was. I started to understand that there were these stories and that maybe we would animate them. And I was making phone calls to people that I knew, you know, I've got this idea. Is it possible? What's it going to cost? You know, toward the end of uh, that period was when I started uh, engaging other people. Ben was first. He was a production manager and lighting designer, uh, which is a great example of managing money. Someone who can do two jobs, you, you know. Nice. Didn't, don't think we had the money to have both roles independent. Yeah. Yep. That's the way some of these things start. You know, I've got nine roles on this on this production. And then Hermione, Mary, uh, who's the video artist, and that was a really great um, beginning to the to expanding the creative, Hermione and I would catch up for some one on ones and talk about. By this stage, I had images and ideas, and we would just expand on on this and start getting a bit of a design. And then I um, engaged uh, Ginny, who's a wonderful illustrator here in Bendigo, and same we did some one on ones. So at this point, I've approached the three of them. We've had a couple of one on ones. This is you know, this is what I'm doing. Are you interested? Yes, but the whole thing is contingent on getting funding for us to actually, you know, hit the button to go. Um, so we, so I'd gotten that far and sort of assembled my team and shared the general idea and we'd started doing a couple of little things, which was really kind of them, you know, to gift that time to me before we were funded. And then they'd set about doing a whole bunch of applications, yeah. And, and one of them was successful from the Australia Council. There was a, a grant for $47,000, it was, something like that. Uh, and that was just uh, amazing. That was Christmas and that was get on the phone. Okay, because we were ready. We we had support from the venue to have the space to work in for a couple of weeks. You know, we blocked out those dates, you know, in January that that year. That was January last year. We didn't find out about the funding until like the week before Christmas. But everybody was, you know, up for it and, and, and ready. And it was like, well, here we go. You know, we can go. Uh, so I obviously got very busy about getting even more organised, uh, you know, now that I was going to be responsible for a team of people um, and, and got all set up. And then the four of us um, spent that week together in the room, Monday to Friday, nine to five. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life to be turning up 
to create with a team of people who are all being they were all being paid to be there. Um, and then f- from there, we um, had a second week uh, where we began doing some more of the work, uh, and then everybody sort of went out into their solo, you know, elements. Elements, mm-hmm. and I would work with people one on one to keep it all, you know, moving forward. Man. Now, with the, you said earlier on that like collaborating as a group is a really powerful part of the process for you and like something you really enjoy. What are some tips on keeping that group? So you're sort of the, the ringleader of this group. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you set up a really positive collaborative space? The thing I said to everybody in the beginning when we're having the discussion of whether you were going to work, we were going to work together or not, was I explained how I work. And that was that moment of explaining the, the way that I work is is that we're serving the idea. Mm. It's not. It's got nothing to do with what I want, uh, or, or it's to do with the idea. My job is to see the idea, to understand it, and to create a framework for everybody to work in. Um, I encourage you to uh, to put yourself in and your ideas in. I, I'm asking you. I'm not just asking you to execute a brief. I would mm. like you, you know, to to put some of your, you know, creative flair I- into it. But we are serving the idea, and it's my job to understand that, so that when and and direct that, so that when I've got an artist coming back to me with ideas, I'm able to say, it's um, it, it's a little less of that, and it's a little more of this, a- and we can talk like this. Um, Mm. It's, it's a much more positive and constructive way. It gets my ego out, it gets their mm. ego out, mm. um, and we're all working toward the idea. That was as simple as that, explaining that, and everybody responded really positively to that, and it wasn't necessarily a foreign idea to them either. The other key thing was being together for that first week with all four of us and going through what the whole project was and looked like and then the actual the scenes. And I was bringing in, you know, the ideas, but we would sort of form them together. And for me, it was an opportunity to, to test whether ideas I had would fly. And there were times, there's one in particular, where the three of them shut it down, like, completely. <laughs> you know, and it, we were left in a situation of me going, well, this is what I really wanted to, to be in here. And they're going, we can't see it. And it, this sort of, they had the whole week to keep saying they can't see it. And I really had to stop and sit down and, and reflect and go, okay, like, so what's happened here? Is this me trying to push an idea on, you know, and it's not working? Or was it actually an idea that came to me? Mm. And I sort of had to reflect. Anyway, regardless, it's not sitting with three people I've got in in the room to mm. collaborate with. Mm. Let's rethink, you, you know. And what happened with that? particular instance did it get in the show no i didn't i <laughs> i said to them i think we were on like we got to the end of the week and they just weren't they just weren't up for it they were like <laughs> remember ben like he's he's going home having dinner with his folks and they're discussing it at the table and <laughs> he's coming back no we just can't just this bit dave this idea you've got over here and i really thought it was um like i, I thought it was like the, like the centerpiece <laughs> of you know what we were doing and i remember saying Okay, that like you know that's fine. It's again, it's not a personal thing. <laughs> that's fine. You know, if you're all so against it and want to take this out, I'm asking you, what would you like to replace it with? Yeah, yeah, you know? good, good question. <laughs> uh, um, and actually, in the end, uh, and, and no one had any ideas. They just knew that that wasn't going to work. And actually, I just woke. Uh, I woke up. Yeah, you know, after a night's sleep, I woke up, and the idea was there. Ah, okay. uh, the replacement. I, the replacement. And I went in. You know to the theatre and I said, I've got it. You know, it's this, it's this. And, th- and by this stage, we'd already gone through the whole show. Yep. So the threads and things were really clear as well. You know, it's like, this is it. You and the know. response from the team was? Thumbs up. Yeah, <laughs> love yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I'm so conscious that the this has been a two-year journey for you and there's so much in it, right? We could talk about this for literally <laughs> the entire day. Yeah. But I want to pick out some things that are going to be of, of most value to our listeners. Great. And then we're um, kind of... S- hear about your vision for what it is now because we've talked a lot about what it what it was in the start and the process one thing before i want uh before we go into what it became and what it is now and and where it's going is the back on the administration side you kind of glossed over the uh the really great part about you getting this big grant and that whole process for someone 
who's like, I've got this great performing arts idea and I'm, you know, super passionate, dedicated to make this thing happen, but may not have experience in getting funding, the actual, what does that process look like? Because you, you'd had a bit of experience in that field before. I'm interested in what what was that, how did you go about finding the grants and getting getting that funding, but what was your success rate and like how many did you write before you got one? The um, Yes, you're right, I've done this before before this is the advantage of having been an arts professional for so long so I wasn't green to it and people ask me all the time how do I get funding I like the best thing to do is just start getting on with it like start you know I know how to do it through trial and error yeah right no one ever taught me I'm not formally trained in anything yeah not in composition not in theater making not a thing it's all self-taught <laughs> it's amazing my first advice is just get on with it start start failing right nice finding grants is easy it's called the internet <laughs> and, a, and an internet search. So you go and do that. For, set aside half an hour in an Excel spreadsheet. I guarantee you by the end of that dedicated, you allow yourself that dedicated time, you will come up with a, a list of opportunities that might not all be available right now, but coming up, get yourself a little schedule. You can sign up to all the alerts for things. My success rate for this show, I was making the joke the other week, was ruining my reputation. <laughs> um, I, was, you know, I have a lot of ex experience in it and quite successful in it when working for others. But when working on my own project, the success rate was 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 down. And, and I remember thinking a few, geez, what are you, what's going on? You know. Yeah. Um, and I've reflected on this since, and what. I understand is when trying to describe your own work or yourself, it's just so much, I find it really difficult. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you want me to write you a bio, I'll knock it out before you finished asking me. Like, you know, <laughs> yep. Or if I'm doing an application for somebody else's project, you know, I can do that because I'm not, when you're so close to things, you know so much detail, you know too much detail, mm. the, so much that's not relevant, yep. you know, to the yeah. application. And grant applications are a simple thing that we all did in high school, which is responding to criteria. Um, yep. But practice, you know, allows you to do that. So the bit I've added for my own thing, my own grants, is making sure I've got somebody teed up who can review my work when I'm done. Mm. And I did that recently um, with Amy here at Emporium. And, and that was a fantastic outcome. And it literally was me doing all the work. Mm -hmm. You're doing the work. Right? No one else is doing the work. No one's interested in doing the work for you. You can pay people to write grants for you. Yep. I don't think you can pay people to write grants for you and you can expect you're just going to sit back and put your feet up on the desk. I, you've got all the information. Yep. So it's like trying to get somebody else to fill in a form who, who doesn't know you. Yeah. Okay, first question, name. Oh, I need to ask you. Like you see, you may as well <laughs> yeah. fill the stuff in yourself, I, I think. But, um, yeah, that situation with Amy was great. You know, I was able to send her my work and she literally phoned me up and it was one hour. She said, Dave, this is fantastic. It's all here, but we just got to knock it around a bit into shape and get the, it flowing and, and make sure you're really hitting the criteria. And she just read it. She read my responses back to me over the phone. Within 60 minutes, we were done. Not just, I'd actually, t I was typing while she was talking. Wow. And it was just, it was just rearranging. But yeah. I sat back at the end and I was like, Yes, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm imagining that maybe it gets a little bit missed um, and I've done a bit of grant writing as well and like you, you know, your idea that you're trying to serve is coming in, you're like it has to be this way or that way and like you just have to answer the criteria and you can get a bit carried away with like, oh, this is really important where you just really need to answer the question. Yeah. And it can be a balance of, mm. um, so is that a similar experience for you in balancing those two things or yeah and it's really easy i think i gave the, an example when i was working at arena theater company and i'd be writing grants I, and i i would i would go to the artistic director i wasn't doing the creative work i was doing the administrative work i'd go to the um, artistic director and say could you please explain to me a bit more about this project which i'm seeking mm. funding for you know for us and he would start telling me stories. And for me, it was really easy to listen to him and hear the bits that were completely irrelevant <laughs> to the application and hear the bits that were relevant. And he might talk for, say, 30 minutes on an idea and I'm listening and I'm just going, I need that bit and that bit and that bit. And that's easy for me to do in that situation. But if I'm having that conversation with myself, I, I find that 
mm. harder. Yeah, we don't have that external perspective that you uh, have as an advantage when hearing someone else, uh, do you? Yeah. You, you're, you're the one speaking and you're also the one trying to decide what you're saying which parts are relevant yeah. and irrelevant. De- definitely, which is which is part of creating too, right? Like I spent yeah. a lot of time having what might be considered conversations with myself. Working for yourself is like that, right? Like mm. when you're self-employed, you've got to sometimes set aside an hour, you know, in the, I think it's a good idea, set aside an hour in the week to have a meeting with yourself, mm. you know, boss to employee because, you know, yeah. you've got, you might need a day off. Yeah, yeah, that's so ex- true. For example. That's so true. <laughs> and if you take that hour to have that sort of back and forth conversation, I do it on the page. Yeah. You know, you can you can sort of get to the end of that hour, I find, and go, yeah, it'll be totally fine for you to take that day off. Um, all this stuff will be, does that's not needed now, we'll do that later. And it can be as simple as just allowing that, that time. I love that. Yep. Are you feeling burnt out? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I am a little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. I love that. All right, we're going to fast forward because, as I said before, that this this journey has been action packed. It's been a roller coaster. It's been all things. Yeah. I'm sure you would say, <laughs> um, come to the the culmination and the coming together of all of your work and the, these two years to what this show looks like now. What is this? show look like now in its in its current form and what it what is it designed to to do it's a immersive work so it's very much a a show that you can sit inside of it tells the story of six characters at their final moments of life those stories are depicted with uh, an animation so the structure of the show essentially is that we first see the animation the story of the character and after that, it is followed by the composition for six pianos with the video art and the lighting design. And the video art and lighting design is intentionally abstract. Uh, and so it's playing with this idea of representative art followed by abstract. That is based on um, some reading that I've been doing about what abstract art does for, for our brains. So, so I think it's some neuroscience. Um, but essentially, if you're looking at a picture of a cat, it's a cat. Yep. If you're looking at a picture of dots and lines and squiggles, you, our brains start to go on a journey of what is this? What does this look like? Or, or it evokes feeling. What does it mean? Yeah. As well. Yeah. It, could, it could just be that it's evoking feeling. Yeah, interesting. Know. The structure is uh, th- that there is this representative animation and this story. The stories of, I mean, they're, they're heartwarming and heartbreaking at the mm. same time. Mm. And we're really, we're really delicate with the whole show. Mm. You know, nothing is overdone. If anything, we, we took things out. Mm. And the show contains a lot of absence, which is a really important part of the success of, of the experience. Um, so you've got the, the animation and, and then afterwards is what sort of like a musical ode or, or a musical reflection, but with these other abstract video and lighting going on, which is to sustain the emotion. Uh, what I really wanted to do was to allow as many people as possible to see themselves or see people that they knew or see their stories in the work. Mm. So we left a lot of room for that and even things like one of the characters has a mask on. Uh, you can't tell if it's a male or a female or if they're old or if they're young. Mm. And that was a little idea that I had to open it up even further. And, and that has worked really well from my Research. I mean, only a few people have seen it. We had an audience of 30 people come for a test run and then I've got the other 24 who've worked on it. So I've got their experiences, handful of others. And what's been amazing is that, you know, I've had, say, three or four people come back and tell me, there's there's one character named Jesse, they've told me what Jesse's story was. Four or five of them are telling me a different story. (laughs) And in some cases, none of what they're saying is actually anything to do with what we were thinking about at the time. And in those moments, I just knew we got it. Yeah, that's we, success, isn't we it? Nailed it, and yeah. it was a really delicate process. And it means that no one person is seeing the same show. Wow, it's your show. And when we get into the musical reflection part, you know, with the abstract art, we're essentially removing the author altogether, mm. and it's all you. It's it's all your, what you're reflecting on, what that story you saw, you know, meant for you and and what that brings up. It keeps on coming up that this this experience that you've created is like pioneering in, um, you know, in performing arts. Can you tell me what 
aspects of the show are you sort of like where you're pioneering different areas and you, you touched on the environmental yeah. uh, impacts. So I'm, you know, having read that bio about the work, I kind of got an idea, but can you explain those areas where it's kind of a bit different to your standard shows? Yeah, I, th- I feel like pioneering is too strong a, a, a word. <laughs> I feel like unique is too strong a word. I, 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 you, when people come and tell me that what they're working on is unique, I, my f- first thought is maybe you just need to read some more. <laughs> you know, it's, it's unlikely that any of us have come up with anything completely original. Oh, pioneering is just for the grant applications. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. You've you got it. There we go. Um, so uh, I also do have to, I mean, and I feel quite strongly about that, I, I, but I do have to concede to some degree because I have just spent the last, you know, four months in meetings with producers and agents and the industry and, and festivals and and. So become very aware of what is out there, what is not out there, what they're working on, what they've worked on, and it's becoming clearer and clearer. It really is starting to stand alone a little bit more and more and more. (laughs) But, you know, at the same time, I I also have relationships with other really great artists who understand what I'm Mm. I'm doing too. So Mm. anyway, thank you, but also, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, the I think what you're referring to is around the concept touring. Mm. Um, so that is definitely a, a situation that is new, uh, you know, in, in the industry. It's something that you would see more of overseas. In Australia, we're not really doing it yet. The idea, for me, it started with uh, environmental impact. I had never heard of concept touring. I was like... Someone gave me a, someone said it to me like a year or two later. I'm like, oh, we've got a name for this <laughs> now, do we? You, know, you see it everywhere. It's like, right, okay. Yeah, the environmental impact thing for me meant that I was thinking about how to make a show without touring people and stuff. And this was a really great creative constraint to have from the outset. Mm. I'm a big believer of work out your restrictions and your creative constraints. They're very healthy. What, you, we just weren't allowed to have any ideas about, about having a set, you know, or about <laughs> anything that involved extra stuff. Like, think harder. What we've done is we've designed a show that is driven by QLab. So for technical people will know, but it's a software program that essentially is a, tr- is a whole, it, it does all your triggering so it communicates with ETC, which is the lighting program and runs the lights. It communicates with MadMapper, which is the software that is project is managing all of the video projections. Um, and it also has the soundscapes and, and animations sitting inside of it. So essentially, all the venue needs to do is open up this toolkit and it runs the whole theatre, runs the whole show. So tomorrow, maybe not tomorrow, next week, next <laughs> month, whether it's, as I always say, whether it's Perth or Prague or Portland, Oregon, um, the show can, can go on without needing to tour people or stuff. We can send the digital file and we can send the scores. The music is all scored. Uh, and that local presenter or festival, uh, or whatever, um, can get six local pianists and their own stage team um, to, to execute the show without us needing to go anywhere. That was one of those things when COVID hit, it was like, oh, I've got to, as I say, it was an environmental impact thought first, then COVID hit, it was like, I've got to go with this. We have to push this mm. this idea now. So it also means that the show doesn't get caught up. Like we could do 40 nights in America, you know, at the same time as it doing, you know, a festival in China and, you know, and then yeah. Shanghai a month later. It's Whereas in the other system, when your cast and crew and set are all, are booked for those 40 nights in America, well, that's it. You can't do anything else until, mm. until after. So that, I'm really interested to see how that goes as well. Amazing. So tell us where the show's at now in its development because it's still an ongoing journey in terms of the releasing and the showing this to the world, right? Mm. So where where is it up to? And can you give us any sneak peeks about where you think it might be going? <laughs> I wish I could. Um, it's a, the show is essentially finished. We are pitching to market at, at the moment. More specifically, um, speaking with producers and agents, you know, who would then go pitch to market. Um, so I'm in the middle of that process at the moment. The show is essentially finished. I'm now having conversations for a situation where ideally I would be able to hand over the show now, and someone can go and get on with, you know, doing all those bookings, etc. Uh, of course, that's delegation, not abdication. I'll still be involved. Yep. And once the shows are running, 
uh, you know, I'd still, you know, be there. The concept touring um, situation uh, is very real. In an ideal situation, you know, I would still, I would be the one person that would, that would go or a caretaker. So, yeah, that's where it's at at the Love moment. Uh, and, and so, no, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating to hear. It's, you try living it. It's, uh, <laughs> Not frustrating at all. It's just um, builds anticipation. So this this work, this show, is, hasn't premiered yet, hasn't been shown to uh, a live audience outside testing and, and um you know, supporters, and I can't wait for that moment. Yeah. I, I saw Alumbra Theatre was one of the supporters on there, so I assume that maybe they'd be first up to, to lock in a date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. <laughs> Stephen and, uh, and Julie, <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, absolutely we'll do a local f- performance, and I mean, and I'm, that's the one I'm really looking forward to because the whole team you know is mm. here and and there's so many people that are like yourselves you know supporting it and so many people have come along like the, the journey it's not just the team but it's all of the other supporters you know and organizations that have helped keep this you know help bring this to life so i'm really looking forward to that um and there's just uh, there's obviously just some some strategy putting the business hat on there's a bit of strategy oh yeah you know around where does it go first yep uh, how, how do we approach? Who do we approach? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And uh, so I actually haven't asked <laughs> that <laughs> question yet uh, to them. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And that's just that's a whole nother body of work. Hey, is is uh, actually selling the show? That's the role of an agent producer. You know that that once it's done, that's not done. Like still needs to get to the place where people can see it and that is a big job absolutely yeah and i've toed and froed about whether or not you know do i do that myself or do i have somebody else do that and um yeah it might be a combination of both i, I mean i, I you know, the, the romantic idea is that some knight in shining armor's you know coming in today to go hey dave we love it and we see it doing all of this you yep. just sit down, <laughs> yep. we'll go get it sorted and I'll come back to you next week <laughs> and I could just have a break from working on the show. <laughs> um, whether or not that happens or not, yep. <laughs> whether or not it's a fairy tale ending, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So let's um, let's land this plane. The This show, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was your kind of reintroduction to full-time artist. Mm-hmm. And so now that the show is done, the creative energy and work is done on that, What's next as a full-time artist? Next, I'm working on the six characters, so it, which is actually great because the, la- the last six months has just been admin, really. I mean, I've done some creative stuff, but it's just all been executive yep. work. So next is a period of creative development for me, full-time, which I'm just so excited about. So what I'm working on next is, um, uh, is initial development around exploring the six characters. It's the six characters from the show. And... As you heard me say before, in the current show, the audience is brought in uh, at their final moments of life. So we don't know anything about them. We don't know if they're good or if they're bad or if they were a pilot or a male person, you know. So that idea had come probably about a year ago while I was doing this. I started wondering, who are these people? I've really pushed against it. I do this too. So the ideas come, I've really pushed against it because I, I feel that the idea of doing six prequels essentially was a bit, I was just a bit uncertain about that. Mm. But also we worked so hard, as I said before, for you to not know who the characters are and to not tell you and to allow all this space for you to, to come in and not to interfere with that. And so this idea is the anti-show and I've... Don't, I still don't feel 100% comfortable, you know, with it. Yeah. Um, but it's sending me on some really interesting journey. I had some really interesting meetings this week with some other narrative designers and, and, and people who, you know, do narrative work. Uh, and it's really interesting, the conversations that I'm having about, you know, how, about how this idea does work, David, mm. you know, <laughs> which, is, which is helping me. That you know. must be encouraging. It's great, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. My naivety is like one of my... Um, greatest assets, you know, and at the same time, it's a double-edged sword, yeah. you know, because I could have been spending this time questioning something because I don't have the information, you know, to understand why the idea is um, prevailing. Mm. And if we get back to the beginning of the show to tie everything up in a nice little bow, 
I know that it's best for me to keep myself out of the way yep. and, and, and let the idea just be. I've done that so much so that it has come forward and I have funding to support me to do this. Come on. You know, so it's like it's working, right? Yeah. So why would I be questioning this? <laughs> I don't know. So I set up my framework and we just let the ideas come in, we'll stack it up and I'll I'll find out later. There'll be something happening. Oh, that is amazing. Well, um, really looking forward to getting you back in sometime in the future to hear about how the show has rolled out worldwide and also probably talking about the franchise, which is uh, on the <laughs> yeah, horizon. I really appreciate right. that. Um, absolutely amazing listening to your process and hearing about you know the journey you've been along thank you so much for sharing it with us dave and all the best with the next 12 months of um realizing it into the into the world thanks thanks so much thanks for having me really appreciate it well that wraps up another episode of country creatives with your hosts caleb maxwell and reese handy Thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to have you listening each and every episode. The guys will be back in another two weeks with an interview with another fabulous creative. If you'd like to catch all of the details of David Gagliardi and his future work, please grab the show notes at emporiumcreativehub.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also get all of our previous shows there and you can drop Caleb and Reese a line if you've got any questions, queries, suggestions or just want to say hello. 